Good morning. It's really good to be with you, and it's really good to follow someone who understands what appropriate tie wear is on a Sunday morning. So <laughs> That is wonderful. It's wonderful to be here. It is wonderful to see so many friends and family who chose to be with us this morning. You have honored us by your presence today, and our sincere hope is that you'll come back soon to worship with us again. I want to mention our theme here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ in 2018. Our theme is Out of the Boat, Living Uncomfortably. This is a theme that's designed to remind us that Jesus calls us out of our comfortable homes and he calls us out of our comfortable churches to join him out on the water in the work that he is already doing. Out of the boat is a theme designed to encourage us to trust in God by boldly stepping out of our comfort zones, not just to know God's word, but to actually live his word by imitating Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we're doing throughout the year to remind us and encourage us to be water walkers instead of boat sitters is we're doing a series of weekly challenges. So as you know, some of the challenges that we've done have been very challenging and they've been very uncomfortable. And some of the ones we've done have been less so. But all of them have encouraged us to take at least one step out of our comfortable boats, one step out on the water. And like many of our challenges, this week's challenge, challenge number 14, is a challenge that encourages us to look beyond our own needs and to look to the needs of others. So our challenge this week is a sharing challenge. We're challenging each other to share with the staff and the children at Manuelito Children's Home in Gallup, New Mexico. After the worship service, if you'll make your way to the commons area next to the coffee bar, you'll see a table that's there. And on that table, you'll find some things there. I've got props One of the things that you'll find is you'll find some aluminum pans like this with lids. What we're asking you to do is one of two things. Either take one or two of these pans, take it home, cook a good casserole. We're Church of Christ people. We know how to cook casseroles, right? Cook a good casserole, freeze that casserole, and then bring it back next Sunday. All of those will be collected. It'll be taken to Gallup. They'll be able to put it in their freezer and then throughout the year use that for meals. If you're not able to do that, we encourage you from that same table to take one or two cards. These cards are an opportunity for you to fill those cards up with encouragement, encouraging words, and maybe a gift card. If you'd like to buy a gift card to like a Target or a Walmart or someplace like that and add that to the card, then bring those cards back also next Sunday and we'll take the cards along with the pans to encourage and help and support the children and the staff at Manuelito Children's Home in Gallup, New Mexico. And as you're considering this challenge, I want to remind you of the words of James. James said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Please take the challenge. Well, this morning we're going to talk about a story that never gets old. We're going to talk about Easter. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about this story that never, ever can be allowed to get old. We're going to talk about Easter as a love story. 
And our entry point to this story is a group of precious women. These women are disciples of Jesus Christ. These women have been traveling with Jesus and they've been taught by Jesus. These women have been ministered to by Jesus and they have ministered to Jesus. These women have heard stories that can never be forgotten. They've seen wonders and miracles beyond their imaginations. These women have had a front row seat to events that are destined to forever change the world. But we're going to pick up their story at a a crucial point. See, these women are entering a week in which events are going to take a sudden and completely unexpected turn. If you'll allow yourself to follow these women and allow yourself to watch the events unfold through their eyes and listen to the events through their ears, this is what they saw and this is what they heard during this chaotic week. At the beginning of the week, they saw Jesus ride into Jerusalem. He was on a donkey. And while that may not seem very impressive, what was impressive was the crowds that greeted Jesus. They were adoring crowds, and they paved his way with cloaks and with tree branches. And these women heard those same crowds shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then, just days later, coming off that triumphant high of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem... These women see Jesus arrested and placed on trial. And they heard the crowd's chants change from Hosanna to crucify him. Crucify him. And in short order, they see Jesus, their friend, their teacher, their minister. They see their Jesus. They see him flogged and insulted. They see him hung on a cross. And then he's dead. They see him removed from the cross and he's placed in a tomb. And the story of their Jesus seems to have come to a premature and unexpected and an all too tragic end. Their week has transitioned from this triumphant high to a tragic low. But their week isn't over yet. See, as Sunday morning dawns, there's really only one thing left for them to do. And that's go to the tomb. Go to the tomb and in one last act of love and one last act of service, anoint Jesus' body with spices. There's one last thing to do. Let's go to the tomb and say goodbye. It's go to the tomb and mourn. It's go to the tomb and try to find some closure. So that's what these women set out to do. Luke records it this way in Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. 
But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Jesus is not in the tomb. He has risen. And that's Easter. Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter celebrates that moment. That moment when the women's week takes another sudden and another unexpected turn as they realize that Jesus is not there. As the realization hits that he is risen. It's that moment that it's the climax of the greatest love story that's ever been told. He's not here. He has risen. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the moment that chaotic week has been building up to was realized in that moment. He is not here. He has risen. But the empty tomb wasn't just the climax of that week for those loving women. It was also the climax of Jesus' life here on earth. Everything in his life led up to that moment. And when we expand our view and we look out wider and we look out farther, we see that the empty tomb wasn't just the climax of Jesus' life on earth. It was actually the climax of God's story with mankind. Everything in all of creation led up to that moment. It's the greatest love story ever told. And one of the interesting things about this love story is that this love story is still being written. Although the climax to this story occurred over 2,000 years ago, the story is still being written. And it's being written in the lives of every single one of us. You see, God has invited us into his story. And what we choose to do with the climax of this story, how we choose to respond to the empty tomb, how we choose to live in light of Jesus' resurrection becomes our part of God's story. And each of us has to make a decision. We have to decide what we're going to do with a love like this. A love that motivated God to send his only son to earth to live. But not just to live, but to die on a cross. And not just to die on a cross, but to be raised from the dead. What are we going to do with a love that sent Jesus to earth to die and then to live again so that we could live with him forever? It's the greatest love story ever told. It's the greatest love story ever told because it's unlike any other love story ever told. It's a love story that's so great that it's beyond our ability to fully understand. After all, how do you comprehend a love that's so great that it's truly incomprehensible? What do you do with a love like that? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time trying to do this morning just trying to grasp the magnitude of God's love for us and trying to grasp what that love means to us. And as we do that, let's ask God to help us as we grasp to understand. 
Let's pray together. Father, we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. So how can we grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? Well, we can start grasping that, grasping how wide and how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Jesus Christ by grasping just how costly was Jesus' sacrifice. I want you to listen to Paul's words from Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, we begin to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' love when we grasp that Jesus left his home and left his position in heaven. That he chose to take on a human body with all of its frailties. And that he chose to go to the cross and die a human death. Jesus loved us so much that he put aside all the prerogatives, all the rights of his deity, and he did that for us. And not only did he do that, he did that willingly. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. Christ died and gave himself up. He gave up his life. It wasn't taken from him. So we begin to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' love when we grasp how much that sacrifice cost him. And we further grasp this love's magnitude when we begin to grasp just how unlikely this love story is. You see, what God did through Jesus Christ just doesn't fit in with any human logic. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What do you do with a love like that? We can begin to grasp the magnitude of his love when we grasp who it is that Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die for the powerful. Jesus died for the powerless. He didn't die for the righteous. He died for sinners. 
He didn't even die for his friends. He died for his enemies. He loved us so much that he died to make the powerless powerful. He died to make the sinful righteous. He died to make his enemies his friends. And we can begin to just grasp the greatness of God's love when we grasp just how unlikely that love story really is. And we take another step towards grasping his great love when we grasp how extravagant is that love. Once more, listen to Paul in Galatians chapter 3. Paul says something that's really startling. He says, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's extravagant. That's over-the-top generous love. What did Jesus choose to do out of love? Jesus chose to make the baptized his sons and daughters, sons and daughters of Father God. He chose to make those who belong to God, who love God, heirs of God. He made them inheritors of God's infinite glory. Imagine that Paul can call us children and heirs of the great and glorious God of the universe. That's extravagant love. How can we comprehend a love like that? What do we do with a love like that? And can we comprehend a love for us that's free and willing and even joyful that comes from the God of the universe? Listen to Jesus explain why he chose to come and why he chose to demonstrate his love for us. John chapter 10. Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And Jesus is saying, no one can take my life from me. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He gave his life. Jesus wasn't forced to give up his life for us. He freely and willingly chose to give it up for us. And notice also that Jesus didn't die out of weakness. No, Jesus died out of strength, and Jesus died out of power, and Jesus died out of authority. Jesus had the strength and the power and the authority to love like no one has ever loved before by laying down his life for us and to love us by taking it back up again. See, Jesus died because he loves. And Jesus lives again because he loves. And we can begin to just grasp the magnitude of Jesus' love when we begin to understand where Jesus is and what Jesus is doing for us now. What he's doing for us now out of love. In Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote, 
Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God and is now also interceding for us. See, that tells us that the love story continues. It tells us that Jesus left the tomb, but he didn't leave us. It tells us that Jesus right now is at the right hand of God and is right now interceding for those he loves. See, Jesus died for us and Jesus lives for us. What do you do with a love like that? Well, God has left us free to decide what to do with a love like that. You know, we can respond with skepticism. We can respond that all of that's just too hard to believe. Or we can respond by saying that's just all too good to be true. Or we can respond by saying that, you know, I'm just too bad to believe that Jesus could die for someone like me. We can respond with skepticism or we can look over the shoulder of the women looking into that empty tomb and we can respond with belief. He has risen. He's not there. What do you do with a love like that? Well, we could respond in arrogance. We could say, you know, I don't need a love like that and I don't need gifts like those. We could say, I didn't ask God to do anything for me, and I don't need to listen to him when he asked me for anything. You could respond in arrogance, or you could respond in humility. You could respond in humility to Jesus' humble sacrifice for you. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We could respond in arrogance, but we should respond in humility. Because after all, what do you do with a love like that? Well, you can respond with rebellion. You can fight against God's claim on your life. You can choose to be your own God. You can choose to chart your own path and try to do it all on your own. You can choose to respond with rebellion. Or you can look over the shoulder of those women at the empty tomb and instead choose to respond to God's love with loving obedience. Choose to respond by taking Jesus' own words to heart when he said, if you love me, if you love me, you will obey what I command. What will you do with a love like that? You can respond with indifference. You can shrug your shoulders and you can roll your eyes and you can just move on as if nothing happened 2,000 years ago. You can shrug your shoulders and roll your eyes and just move on as if nothing's happening right now. You can shrug your shoulders and move on as if nothing's going to happen in the future. 
Or you can respond to the Father's love and to Jesus' love with love of your own. You can choose to love because he first loved you. You see, we can respond with love because we've been invited into the greatest love story ever told. And that love story goes something like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for the world. And the son so loved the world that he gave his life for us. And the question for us this morning and every morning is, how are we going to complete that love story? How are we going to complete this sentence? For we so loved God that we gave, gave what? For I so loved God that I gave what? What do you do with a love like that? Do you continue the greatest love story ever told by responding in love? In Matthew chapter 22, we read about an expert in the law who came to test Jesus with a question. And to Jesus, he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So are you going to continue the greatest love story ever told by responding to God's love in love and with love? Are you going to continue the story by loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? Are you going to continue to write the greatest love story ever told by loving your neighbor as you love yourself? Are you going to hang your life story on love? What are you going to do with a love like that? From 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And that completes the love story. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we know that 
at best, we're able to just grasp how much you love us. We're just able to grasp the magnitude of that love. And Father, when we consider how unlovable we are, we're amazed that you would choose to love us. Father, when we consider how great are the riches that you are willing to lavish on us, we are amazed that you would choose to love us. But Father, we gaze into the empty tomb and we can only draw one conclusion. And the conclusion is that the story is true. Your love is true. Your love is great. You do love us. So Father, help us to love because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to end our time together by singing a song of love. And I want to invite you to respond in love. I want to invite you to respond by loving the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And I want you to respond by loving your neighbor as yourself. But I also know that there's at least one person here who is going to respond to love by coming forward to be baptized this morning. And what better thing to do on Easter morning than choose to participate in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to be raised as a new creature as Jesus was raised from the tomb. What better time than that? So if you would like to respond in love to be baptized this morning, I'd invite you to come forward also as we stand and sing.